Alrighty, well the children are dismissed for Children's Church. It's grade second grade and down. The childcare workers are then back. You're with Mr. Ben today. And enjoy that. We talk about what it looks like to have a sick heart as people who are not Christians. And so you can pray for them as well. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking primarily at verses 18 through 20 this morning as we talk about missions and what it looks like to go on mission. And it's our fourth final pillar. And so with that, we've been working through this um, DNA series as we first just talked about the kind of church that we wanted to be, a church that loves God, loves people, and then we started working through each of these pillars, gospel, change, community, and mission. And so this is where we finally put some feet to the things that we've been talking about and what that looks like. Um, as far as then what that looks like for next week, if you're here with us next week, and we encourage all of you to come next week. Uh, there was a new members class uh, for us on uh, last Saturday, and some folks have come together. They've been a part of that, that class. They've been a part of this time with us for months uh, with us, and we're going to go covenant together as a church next Sunday. So that means is the lead pastor from our sending church will come, and he will do the sermon time. There'll be a time where those folks who are, have decided to become members at this time will stand up. The others of you can just hang out in your seats. They'll read the membership covenant. And then those people who have stood up will also come around. They'll lay hands on me, install me as the pastor of our church here, and we'll have a prayer time together. Um, again, if you're not a part of that, we want you to be here. You'll be praying with us in your heart from your seat. And then we'll all go back to our seats and sing a song together as we celebrate this. And as we talk about what that looks like in the future, we'll have lots and lots and lots of more new members classes in that process as we add, well, Lord willing, lots and lots and lots of more people to Redemption Hill Church. And so that's what next Sunday is going to look like. And that will wrap up this series on what it looks like uh, of our DNA. And then we will move into a study on the book of Titus which, Lord willing, will take us to Christmas time and with some stops along the way because Brittany and I will be having another baby. So when that happens, uh, either Ben or Jimmy will come and preach uh, a psalm whenever that happens <laughs> uh, sometime in the end of October. And so we'll do that, and that will take us to Christmas time. And so we're really excited, and so that's where we're going. That's where we're heading. But today, we're in the book of Matthew. Uh, verses 16 through 20, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, as we look at what it means uh, to go on mission. This passage is really familiar to a lot of us. It's called the Great Commission. You've probably heard it um, more than one time. And I think sometimes the danger of a really familiar passage is we can kind of lose what it's saying just because we've heard it over and over and over again. And it makes you think of one time I was told a story uh, by a missionary who he, had, he got this phone call and he said, man, I, I, just heard, I just read the most beautiful thing that I've ever read in my entire life. And I was just reading my Bible. I just read the most beautiful thing. This guy just kept going on and on and on. He said, it's the most beautiful thing that I've ever read. And the missionary was like, dude, did you just like spit it out? What did you read? Like, tell me, I want to go read this thing. What's the most beautiful thing you've ever read? And this new believer who had never really had time to spend time in the Bible said, man, I just read for the very first time that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. We see that at secular football games. We see that over and over and over again. We see that verse all the time. And I think sometimes because we see it so much, we've lost the beauty. 
And this man who had come to know Jesus and was reading his Bible for the very first time, he read that verse for the very first time. And when he read it, he said, this is the most beautiful thing that I've ever heard, that God loves the world so much that he sent his only son to die for me. That is the most beautiful thing that I've ever heard. Well, as we look at that, we look at the Great Commission. What I want to say is I think it's really similar. We can hear this over and over and over again. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And we miss the beauty that the God of the universe has said, hey, you human beings, I want to invite you in this process that I'm using to save people from every tribe, nation, language, culture. You get to be a part of that. And we look at the grandeur of that, and we just kind of hear it over and over again, and we miss it. We miss the beauty that this passage has for us. And I want to challenge you to try to look at this as if you've never heard it before. That you would hold intention of the God of the universe who loves you, who gave himself for you, is now inviting you to come alongside him in this great and grand mission to see all people from all nations come to know Jesus. So let's read um, from Matthew uh, verses 28, um, 16 through 20. And I've messed up, Jimmy and or Lauren. It's going to go to 18, but it's okay. Bear with me. Verse 16. So now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you see these, in these first two verses, we get kind of some setting. This is the resurrected Jesus. He has died on the cross, rose from the dead. Three days later in the book of Matthew, we see that he appears to um, the women who go to the tomb. And then that's reported. And we see that there's kind of two lines of testimony. One that's false, that these guards are coming and they're saying and they're lying that, that they've just hidden the body of Jesus that is not really resurrected and they've been paid off to do that. And then you have this testimony of these women who go back to the disciples. But what we know from the other gospels that Jesus has appeared to his disciples more than just this one occasion at the very end. And so we, it says that they go to this mountain as they were instructed. There's been other times in the gospels where Jesus has told them it is the will of God, the son of, son of God, that he will suffer, die, and rise again, and that we will meet and we're going to then talk when I've raised from the dead. But also we know from other gospels that Jesus has spent time with them. He's talked to these people. He's shared meals with them. And this seems to be kind of like the last thing that's happening. And so in those meetings, it seems like Jesus has given them instructions to meet him at this mountain. And when they do that, this says the 11 come and that they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, it's kind of interesting about that doubted thing. We're not really sure what that means. Were they doubting that he was who he really said he was? Is he talking about the 11? 1 Corinthians 15, 6 tells us that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. The other gospels, it seems like that's happening here in the ascension in Acts. And so it's possible that the 11 are parts of those who are worshiping him. But the ones that are doubting, that just can't really believe it, are those five are parts of that 500 people who are gathering around and they're looking at him. And the reality is, is it's kind of a situation where it's like too good to be true. Right? I think we can all be sympathetic to like their doubt. Like you're looking and you're like, are you sure that's him? Like I know that he died. Where is he? I mean, none of us have ever probably experienced someone literally raising from the dead, particularly raising from the dead like three days later. We know we hear a lot of stories of like somebody was dead for a couple hours. And that's pretty amazing. But this wasn't a couple hours. Three days. Body prepared. 
laid in a tomb, tomb sealed. And now here he is, stone rolled away, appearing before them. Now, when that happens, the reality is you listen to what that guy's got to say. And let's listen to what he has to say. He says this in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is crazy. This raising from the dead guy tells you, listen, I have all authority on heaven and on earth, and that has been given to me by the Father. And what's really hard in that is we know from other passages of the Bible that, that Jesus has always existed. John 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. We can think of Colossians 1 that tells us he was in the beginning, and all things were made by him, and all things were made for him, that he might be preeminent, meaning first in all things. And so I think it's one of those things that we have to see that Jesus, as a part of the Godhead, the triune God, has always had all authority in heaven and on earth. But the resurrection seals the deal. The resurrection proves what's always been true in all of history. That God, Jesus, including in that, has always had all of the authority. It's not like he was lacking the authority and then got it. What it's saying is what I have done, my death, my resurrection, it's sealed the deal. It's made it sure. I've finally proven it. I've done it. In the book of Revelation, it will say, worthy is he to open the seals, meaning bringing on the end times. Worthy is he. Why? Because he has died. He's the lamb who has died, who has slain for the sake of sin. That the cross, what it has done is it has won him, it's established him, and it has sealed it. He is the God of the universe, and he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. See, what I want to see this morning is the expanse of the disciple-making church. That Jesus' authority and what he has extends from all time and to every place. Because what does he say as he's this eternal God-man who's conquered sin, conquered death, their, their jaws are open, some people are doubting because it's just too good to be true. He says, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go make disciples of all nations. Therefore go and tell everyone this good news that you have seen. And that's the announcement that he's made. This is a big deal. And he's inviting you to take part in that as one of his disciples. The reality is, is he's doing that with total and complete authority. And he's telling them to do that of all nations. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul talks about this as well. As a, a apostle who's born, uh, untimely born is what he says. It Meaning he, he has seen the resurrected Jesus at a different time than everybody else. In verse 7, he says this. Of this gospel, talking about what we just said, that Jesus died, that he suffered, that he died, and he rose again from the dead. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's another way to say, go to all nations. 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Again, what Paul's doing, he's pushing back and he's saying, listen, this was always the plan. There's not a new plan. This was always the plan that when God came and told Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He is saying, this is that blessing. This is what's happening. This song that we sing, may the Lord's faith shine upon you. But those blessings that we see in the Old Testament, they're coming true in Jesus and that he's bringing people from every tribe and nation to come and follow him. But listen to the plan so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul is saying that this gospel that he's been made a minister to go and take to the Gentiles is to be accomplished through the church. That word church is ecclesia. It means the called out ones, people who come to believe, disciples. God's plan A, to see all of the world come to know Jesus, was always through the church. It wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't because three years just wasn't enough for him to get the job done. His plan was always that he would come, minister here on earth, live a perfect life, die the death we deserve to live, that we deserve to die, raised from the dead, conquering sin and death, and then ascend. He told us it was better that he would go so that the Holy Spirit would come and live in us. His plan was always that the church would be his means of seeing people from all over the world come to know Jesus. The spreading of that good and great news. Now, here's what happens a lot of times when we start talking about missions, in particular, world missions. That we have to look and we say, go into all of the nations. The number one kickback that I usually hear from churches is this. Well, why should we go there? when we have so many needs right here. And I wanna give three reasons why we ought to still go there. Number one, there's no room in the Christian worldview for an us versus them kind of mentality. That when we say things like those people over there, we're making distinctions that are not true according to the Christian worldview. Those distinctions have been brought down, that dividing wall tore down in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.11 tells us this. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is listing all the categories that people in his day would have been dividing people into. Jew or Gentile or Greek, people who, who are not of Jewish heritage, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian slave. He's talking about there with the barbarian or people who were not speaking Greek at the time, the common language. So maybe the uneducated, 
People that they might have looked down upon, he's saying that's no longer true. Slave and free, those are economic kind of terms. That's stuff that sometimes we struggle with those words because we have a post-17th century understanding of slavery. This is before that had happened. So for them, that's an economic term. Saying people, because slavery is is different in the New Testament, it's, it's more like an indentured servitude where you're able to actually still get paid and work your way out of slavery. It's a little different than what we've seen of the ethnically based slavery. But he's even saying there, there's no dividing line. That the natural tendency of their Roman world would have said slaves are here, free people here. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You're now one body and you're together. There's simply just no room for that in the Christian worldview. John 1.12 tells us whoever believes in his name, whoever would believe in his name, was given the right to become a child of God. When we all start calling each other children of God, what we're saying is we are family. What I'm saying when I want to say, hey, let's go out into the nations, I'm not telling you to go help them. I'm saying you have brothers and sisters who have yet to be called home. And if your brother and sister were out there stranded, you'd do everything you could to bring them home. And that's what we say in world missions. That's why we're saying we need to go and be a part of that. Number two, the reason why it's not a good thing to say, well, why should we help them there? Or why should we go there when we have so many things here? Well, because the call to make disciples of all nations is the same call as to make disciples of this nation, right? We sometimes read the Bible with this really kind of uh, American-centric worldview or uh, a geocentric worldview where we kind of think like we're in the middle. Guys, we're on the Western side of the world. If it was not for the faithfulness of people reading that command, you don't have the gospel. I don't have the gospel. People in Jerusalem heard that command and actually took it seriously. And they went out into all of the world. And that's why people like us gather in places like this and proclaim the gospel, right? And what, we, what that means then is that call to go and make disciples of all nations applies to your neighborhood. It applies to your family members and my family members. It applies to our children. That is still true. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he's talking about us. That word for nations is where we get the word ethnicity, is ethos, that they translate as nations. And so we even know since then, I mean, have you seen a map that was before World War I and then see the map that's after World War I? If we think of nations only as political systems, man, that map got totally redrawn. It's totally different. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about these ethnic groups of people, people who, who make up different languages, cultures, uh, different uh, ethnicities that we have. And he's saying, listen, it applies to all of it. And so the call to go make disciples of all nations is the call to go make disciples of your neighbors, your fans, your family. And finally, this, the third reason why I want to say it's not very good is because I would call it a pragmatic fallacy, right? So there's this kind of idea that, like, if we waste money over here, we'll then spend more money that we need over in in, in our area, in our community. And I just want to tell you, as uh, someone who's been a practitioner of gospel ministry for just about a decade, it's just not true. People who are generous to the other side of the world are also the people who are generous in their community. People who are stingy with people on the other side of the world typically pretty stingy in their own community. It just pragmatically doesn't actually play out that way. People who go on mission trips come back. You know, one of the best things about sending churches is we know when we send people on a mission trip, they come back pumped up and they usually share the gospel with their friends. They usually tell them how awesome that trip was. Like it benefits us 
this kind of idea that like caring for other Christians in other places won't be a direct benefit to us is just not the way God made it. It's not the way God made us. When we go and we see the power of God working in a different culture, in a different world, we come back empowered and emboldened to see the power of God work in our culture and in our world. That it's just how it works. I'm a church planter in Columbus, Ohio today because I spent a summer in East Asia. That's just how it is. I spent a summer in East Asia where we were planting churches and sharing the gospel with people, and it got me pumped up, and I got me excited to see the power of God work. And when I met with people to debrief, they said, Josh, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, man, I want to do what we're doing here. I just want to do it in America. Because we need what's happening here. These church planting movements that are going crazy in East Asia and the southern half of our world. I mean, it is blowing up. The gospel, the truth is marching on. There are probably more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Now, their population is massively larger than ours, but that's a part of it. That is the reality. And we, as we got to experience that truth, it got me excited for missions here in our community. For people who looked active and came from a world like me, I wanted to show them, listen, look at the beauty of the gospel. If these people can understand it in a persecuted place where we're hiding and ducking out, man, we should be able to celebrate that here in a place that's not persecuted. So it's just a pragmatic reality of like, if you have this idea that we won't spend money or we won't spend time investing in our community if we spend it in a different community, I just want you to know it's just not true. Churches that don't spend time in other communities typically don't spend time in their own. It's just one of those things. Generosity is not about geography. Generosity is about your heart. A bigger house, more money, next phase in life will not make you more generous and hospitable. What makes you generous and hospitable is you allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to work in your heart. That's what it looks like. And so that's what I want to see us look. So what does that mean for us as a church? I mean, let's send boldly. Let's watch and see how the Lord blesses that. Because listen, the sending, it's hard. You can ask Paramount Church right now. They'll tell you, man, it was hard sending away three families who were faithful, who gave, who served a bunch in our little church. But they do it so that we might bring a gospel-centered church here in this community. So while this text provides us the expanse of disciple-making, all nations... It also gives us the goal of disciple-making. Picking up in verse 19, it says, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then I think he explains what that is. What does it mean to make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so that's what we want to see. What's the goal of a disciple-making church? What's the goal of missions? The goal is to see people be baptized and then teach them all that Christ has commanded them. Another way to say that is our goal is ultimately to see them worship Jesus. As we look at these things, we want to see that that baptism is, is symbolic of what it means to look like some, somebody being converted. We talk about making disciples. We don't mean like go talk to your friends who one, you either think would just make really good Christians or two, you think, oh, well, they already go to a good church, so I bet they like my church. Listen, if they're going to a good church, they should keep doing that. We want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. When he's talking about baptizing them in the name of the Father and Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, go talk to people who aren't Christians, who aren't followers of me, and see them be converted. Because when you're baptized, what you're saying to the world and everyone around you is, I have died with Christ 
That's why you go under the water in burial. And then I have been risen again with Christ in his resurrection to walk in a new way of life. To walk in newness of life, which is that teaching part that comes next. Teaching them then to obey all of our commandments. So Jesus is saying our goal is to see people who do not know Jesus come to know Jesus. Be changed, be dead to their sin, but be made alive in the spirit by God. And that, that's happening in the singular name. That, that name is not plural there. It's in the name, and then he gives the triune God. Of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why when we baptize people here at Redemption Hill Church, we'll probably briefly share their testimony, talk about what it looks like for their conversion, and then we will baptize them. And when we do, we will say something like, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and raised again to walk in newness of life. That's what we're trying to say here at Redemption Hill Church when we do those things. Yet at the same time, we see that that's not it. It's not just seeing converts. The goal of the disciple-making church is also teaching them to obey all of the commands of Jesus. That is a massively tall, hard order. That is a huge task. I don't think I could list all the commands of Jesus. There's a lot of them. Yet that's what we are told to do, teaching them to do everything that I've done. The reality is, is that only the church can do that. We need a community to teach people all of the commands of Christ. We even see that in our own uh, world, right? Education is done communally. That's why we have schools. The fact is, is we've learned as humanity, education usually goes a lot better if we band together and bring people together and communally educate our own children. We see that happening, whether that's public schools, private schools, and even homeschoolers have what are called co-ops. Even homeschoolers, those people who just educate their kids all by themselves, have learned that that's not the best way to do it. They even find other homeschool families and get together and have times that they're doing education communally. And I want to suggest that's the same thing here. And we see this, that the church is the only way that the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers, authorities, and principalities of this earth. That's going back to that Ephesians 3 passage. It's the church It's to be a community of people who come together and are saying, we're taking seriously what it means to teach people what it looks like to share the gospel, to to live out the commands of Jesus. The reality is, guys, is it would be a lot, lot cheaper to just try to see conversions happen. Like, I could probably literally rent us a helicopter and just, like, dump out gospel tracts for way cheaper than what has been to fund and support a church plan. We could just throw outreach events and that's all we do. We never have to worry about doing the Sunday morning thing. It'd be a lot less work. It'd be a lot easier on Mark and Kendall as they pick up stuff into the truck every morning. But that's not what God's commanded us to do. He isn't just commanded us to go and get people to say yes to do you want to follow Jesus. That's a part of it. That's what it means, the baptism. We want to see conversions. But the rest of the goal is teaching them to obey all the commands of Christ. And we need a multifaceted approach to do that. You need sermons. You need worship songs together. You need uh, future Sunday school classes that we can offer. You need community group in the middle of the week. You need one-on-one discipleship. Only the church can bring together all the multifaceted realities that we have to have in order to fulfill this command. And that's why Jesus has given us this. Again, the church was always plan A to fulfill God's great commission. 
This is a tall task and it's hard to fulfill the Great Commission, but rest assured, you've been given a wonderful, wonderful promise. See, the promise to the disciple-making church is found right there at the end of verse 20. After Jesus gives them this really hard thing to teach them all of these commands, to baptize them in the name of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You've got to realize the power of that. Remember, you've got to put yourself back on that mountain. The resurrected Christ conqueror of sin and death. You've seen him perform miracles. You've seen him do these mighty acts. And now he's conquered death itself. And he's looking at you and he's saying, listen, I am with you until the very end of the age. I am promising to never leave you. Why would he make that promise in that moment? It's because it isn't easy. The Great Commission is really really hard. It's really, really costly. Christendom as a whole has lost millions upon millions of dollars to the Great Commission. And that's nothing to say for the relationships lost as people come to know Jesus and their families disown them. The friendships that are lost. The imprisonments that have taken place because people have said, I will follow Christ and I will not follow man. And even the deaths of Christians. This is massively costly. Fulfilling the Great Commission is going to cost you something. We just read this not too long ago in our community group, but in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 37, it says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." The reality is, is if you want to actually fulfill the Great Commission, if you want to take part in this Great Mission, you've got to see what there is to gain is more valuable than what you could ever lose. Jesus has to be the pinnacle of what you see this. Jim Elliott is a famous uh, missionary. It's a great movie called The End of the Spear. If you're looking for a movie night with your family, it's awesome. And he was a missionary. He and a, and a group of friends, uh, other men, went with him to Ecuador. And they were reaching what's called unreached people groups, meaning groups of people who have little to literally no access of the Bible. They had never heard. They had never even learned the language. They had never done these things. And they were dropping gifts to these people in Ecuador and the Amazon rainforest. And they landed. And even though they were armed and had the ability to defend themselves, the warriors from that tribe, afraid of those men, went after them with spears and bows and arrows, and they killed these missionaries. And Jim Elliott and his friends lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. In Jim Elliott's journal, just days before this had happened, he wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
Jim Elliot and his friends realized that their life was worth the eternities of those people. The rest of that story is their wives go back to share the gospel with these people. And because they're women, they're not seen as much as a threat. They're able to share the gospel with them. And that tribe comes to know Jesus, but because of those men's sacrifice. The reality is the fulfilling of the Great Commission, it's gonna cost you something. It might be money, it might be reputation, it may even be your life. It has, that, that is the trajectory of Christendom all throughout it. Fulfilling this great commission, you only know Jesus. You only get this gospel in America because blood was spilt all across the Middle East and Europe by Christians who said it's worth the sacrifice. The gospel is worth it. The eternities of us and people like us, they found it worthy to glorify the risen Savior, to glorify him, to see many sons and daughters come to know Jesus, to call their siblings home. They gave up everything. That's why Jesus gives this promise. Lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. In the book of Joshua, Joshua 1, the, Joshua is getting ready to go into the promised land and he is getting ready to fight battles and, and, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and he tells him, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified. Why? For I will be with you wherever you go. The Lord meets him and he tells him that. And I always thought, why does God do that? It's not like Joshua didn't know this information. He had literally been told, like, go to these places, fight these people. But God meets Joshua because the reality is, is Joshua is afraid and he's scared. And he makes this promise to him. I'm going to be with you no matter what. The number one reason that I hear people not share their faith, and we talk about that, why won't you share your faith? Why won't you tell others about Jesus? Is fear. We're afraid. We have a fear of man and rejection. A fear of inadequacy. I, don't, I just don't know enough. I won't be a good enough witness for Jesus. We have a fear of our own hypocrisy. They've seen my sin. I can't share the gospel with those people. And that's why you need this promise that he is with you until the end of the age. He's with you and he will not forsake you. He's with you because the presence of God is what casts out fear. It's knowing that he's near to you. Because you'll sit there and you'll say, Jesus, I can't do this because if they do, then they will totally reject me. And he'll say, yeah. They might, but I won't reject you because I'm with you to the end of the age. Jesus, I can't do this. I don't know enough about you. I, don't, I can't answer all their questions. I just can't do this. And he says, you know enough. I've called you to this. You know enough. And I'll remind you of the things that I've taught you. That's a promise that Jesus makes to his disciples that the spirit would do that. And he says, listen, because I'm with you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Say, Jesus, they know my deepest secrets, and they know all of my sin. They've been with me when I've done all the running around that I shouldn't have done. They were there when I made all the mistakes I wasn't supposed to name. And he'll look to you, and he'll say, yes. And I know those mistakes too. And I still called you my own, and I love you. And I will always be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you until the end of the age. As we take these steps together as a church, as this little body, 
There will be highs and there will be lows. What happens if coronavirus springs up again this fall and this winter and we're either masking out or we're six feet apart and we can't do the things that we don't wanna do? That's when you're gonna to need to hear that small, still voice. I'm here, this didn't catch me off guard and I'm with you to the end of the age, Redemption Hill Church. What happens when you lose your job unexpectedly and you just don't know what you're gonna do anymore? How can I still be a part of this? My, my, my adequacy, my, my own self-worth feels attacked. I've lost this thing. Jesus is saying, listen, only I can satisfy. Only I can give you self-worth. I'm with you and I'll be with you to the end of the age. No matter what it is, we have got to be a people who know that truth. And my fear though is this is that promise isn't very meaningful to us. We've fallen into the category of we've just heard this over and over and over again and I don't hear the meaning of that promise anymore. Because the reality is this, that promise is only as meaningful to you as valuable as Jesus is to you. If Jesus is the pinnacle of all that you love, if he's preeminent in your life and he's number one, then that promise is the best thing you have ever heard. You can't just read that and walk away and not be changed. You can't read that and not be encouraged. You can't read that and not be stirred because you would read that and you say, he is with me. He's promised to be with me. He will never leave me. And he is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. But that has to be true for that promise to mean anything to you. Because if there is any other idol that's made its way onto the throne of your heart, then the promise that Jesus is always with you will feel stale. It won't feel meaningful. It won't resonate. Because there's something else in your life that you've said, this is more important. And as long as that thing doesn't leave me and that thing doesn't forsake me, then I'll be safe. Then I'll be okay. Brothers and sisters, we've got to cast out the idols. We've got to see Jesus is all that can satisfy. He's all that can make it right. And then we can cast our cares and our anxieties on him. Then we can cling to him. And you can cling to that promise. And that promise can become the best thing that you have ever heard. The task is difficult. The enemies are many. And your own heart and flesh will fail. But behold and look to the king of glory the one who has conquered sin and death, the resurrected Jesus, the one who has made plan A, the church. And that this plan expands throughout all time and all the world. The one with authority and all the authority on heaven and earth has looked to you and he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. But don't forget that last part. And he says, and lo, I will be with you until the very end of the age. Your last question in communion group gets pretty specific this week. How are you gonna take part in this mission? I know that question, I'm, I'm tempted to even have you ask it because it sometimes gets the crickets. I want to encourage you to wrestle with it. And I know that it's going to be hard. 
And I know when I ask that question, your stomach begins to churn because you think of real people and real places that you want to tell about Jesus. And that's scary. Don't forget the promise. He's with you. And where his presence is there, it'll cast out fear. Cling to Christ and go do the thing he's calling you to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. We love you. I pray for this body, for these people, for myself. Lord, help us to see you as the most valuable thing in all the world. Help us see you like that treasure in a field. When a man found it, he went and sold all that he had so that he might buy that field and possess that treasure. Help us put you on top. Rule the throne of our hearts. Know us intimately. May we know you. Lord, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and dwell richly within us by your word and through your spirit. And as that happens, God, I just pray that you would change us, change our hearts, change our minds, and embolden us. That because we have faith in Jesus, we have boldness in this world and access to the Father. Help us fulfill this great commission, Lord. I pray for everybody right now who's thinking of that coworker, who's thinking of that friend, who's thinking of that family member, that neighbor. Father, I ask that you would make them bold. Lord, I know that they're nervous and their palms are sweaty. They don't know how to start the conversation. They're unsure of what they'll say once they get to the conversation. Lord, I just pray for that dear brother and sister today, God, that your peace would come over them, that you would give them boldness, that you would give them the words to say. God, I ask that that as the pastor of Redemption Hill Church, that I would get to hear stories of how their friends came to know Jesus at kitchen tables, in parks and yards, over coffee. That we might get to celebrate that together, bring them into the church and baptize them and teach them to obey all of your commands because of the faithfulness of the members here. That we would see that it is a cultural lie, that it's the pastor's job to present the gospel to everybody. And God, that my job is the same as theirs. That this commission is to me as well. That I need to be sharing the gospel with my neighbors, my friends, with my community. That I don't just get to check the box because I do it here on Sunday morning. Lord, that we would look to gospel proclamation, not as something that we dread or are afraid of, but God, that we would look to gospel proclamation. What an honor to be a herald of the King of Kings. What an honor to be an ambassador of Christ. Change us, make us like you. Help us be excited about this mission. I ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.